who is setting, I mean, like we sort of create this expectation in terms of what we should be achieving. Is mm-hmm. that fair to say? Yeah. We've, as in we have set ourselves a bar of, um, you know, a probably a black and white number. And I've, the thing is I've never sort of said, I've never sort of given a, a threshold, a line in the sand in terms of, you know, where it is in terms of where, you know, if you're doing well or not well. And I think that, but it's something that I think we we create in ourselves, especially when we ask for feedback. And in fact, in the way that feedback is given, because I think traditionally it's given as a binary number. Mm, mm. And that half mark, you know, if you score 50%, then it's a pass. If you score less than 50%, it's a fail. Mm. I think in some ways that creates that threshold, that line in the sand, which we think we're doing well or not. Is, is that fair to say? Like we're, like when you say we're not achieving getting what you know setting up what we want to achieve like what does that what are those achievements or what are those goals or performance targets do you think okay hi everyone to anesthesia coffee break uh, i'm lahiru and i'm stan and yes dan so this is a pretty special episode again because um it's, we're leading up to an exam uh, and it's always a big exam and I guess the problem is that we, you know, we naturally feel just terrible when we're about to be you know, do some performance and we, we could be judged. We might think about failure and, and all those other emotions that get in the way of our performance itself. So yeah, I think that's what we're talking about today. And I think that's one of the hard things is that we've put so much time and effort into this process. And I'm super proud of everyone out there. Like we're coming up to four weeks before the exam Everyone's been um, doing all those tasks that I set out. Everyone's been putting in that 20 to 30 hours. And I think with that effort, we set ourselves expectations. We set ourselves um, levels where we feel like we have to reach those levels. And if we don't reach those levels, we feel that we're underperforming or we're not ready or we've done something wrong or we're inadequate. And I think those are feelings that we all have in terms of preparing for any exams that we've done in our lives. Mm. In fact, preparing for not just exams, I would think. Everything, really. <laughs> like everything in life that takes actually a, a long period of time to prepare for. There's always doubts and self-doubt. You often doubt yourself. Um, and I think you often doubt your will. And I think that's one of the main things is that you sort of think that you're not good enough mm. to achieve the standard or the bar that has been set. Mm. So I think those feelings are very natural and they come along, especially around this time, which is that four to five week mark. And, you know, we've got a special session today where um, we've had a number of comments that we would like to go through and they're really insightful. And I think it's time that we actually spoke about this in a public forum, because these are all comments and statements that I see every six months. And I think it's really good that, you know, we've been able to put them onto paper and actually discuss about each one and what each one means. It's funny, because almost every negative and positive feeling you're ever going to have, someone telling me, you know, it's just so normal. Everyone's felt it. Uh, it, it, Just no one's immune, whether it's the person that gets the prize eventually or someone who doesn't do so well, you you know, it just doesn't matter. You all absolutely feel it. Um, and so maybe it's a good time. Um, so Latifa kindly, you know, with our help, we've all kind of collated uh, just just some feelings that are very common to all of us for this exam, but it probably applies to almost anything, any kind of high stakes game that we're about to play. Latifa, did you want to go through just some of the things we, we went through? Uh, and, th- and then later on, we can chat about all each of those points in a bit more detail. Yeah, absolutely. So um chatting to some of the others who are about to sit in August, um, I think at the forefront of our mind, we're just worried that we might fail. And whether that's because of lack of consistency, lack of knowledge, lack of performance on the day or luck, um, it's, uh, it's something that really scares us because we've put in a lot of work, but we're worried that it won't be enough, that we're not enough that um, there is so much to cover. And even if you've managed to read all of it, because 
many of us haven't covered the whole syllabus and and I've heard people say they never ended up covering the whole syllabus but you just feel like you're behind all the time and even if you have read a large amount of the syllabus you can't recall all the information and um having all of that hard work that you've put in to then be distilled into a process where you spit out a really elegant answer in, you know, eight to nine minutes and you're having a breeze and you you get to stop and have a little sip of water and then go on to your next question. That's just not happening in the exam. Like no one's comfortable in this exam, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And in this little period, um, I think uh, particularly for me, I'm not sure where to put my time, whether to uh, be practising whole timed exams, whether I should be doing structures. Um, There are some show me the money sessions happening, uh, but then there still might be big holes in my knowledge. And I'm thinking, do I need to be listening to this podcast? Should I still be learning this detail from the textbooks? I'm running out of time. Um, and with that time, I think it's really um, hard because there is only a certain amount of energy and time that you have in a day, in a week to do things. And there is this constant guilt. Oh, I haven't studied 10 hours a day. I haven't studied two hours today. I haven't studied one. And then you start to panic a little bit. Um, and then when you do manage to put in maybe a four-hour session Um, I can often walk out of it feeling quite inadequate that I haven't covered enough, that what I covered was too simple. Um, It still won't be enough to get me over the line. Um, Yeah, there's there's lots of comments there. Do you want me to just keep going or do you you want to stop and break? Let's unpack. Yeah. Yeah, Let's unpack them. And I think one of the key ideas I want to start off with is the really big one is that fear of failure. I think that's massive because you are absolutely right in terms of what's at stake. And I think La put it really nicely to say that this is a high stakes game because I think a lot of us, um, our career actually depends on this exam. It's a hurdle. And, you know, you think about what the possibilities are not as in not passing this exam. So if you fail this exam, what's going to happen? Exactly. And it scares a lot of us. Yeah. And, and I, I kept thinking about this because as soon as I saw, I saw you know, we, we put all these points together, I just thought, yeah, you know, I remember this feeling of the fear of failure and every other thing that that means happening at almost every stage of my life. I remember these feelings back when I was in primary school, end of high school, uh definitely for the you know the exams were definitely the biggest part of it but then the interviews as well and even nowadays when i'm about to give a course on something the day before i'm just thinking oh man you're only as good as your last course and <laughs> you know absolute flop there's so many ways this goes wrong and and as i'm thinking about this um a few years ago i realized oh no no this is a feeling i want to have like if you're in the game of if you're you know if you're going to live your life where what you do matters then you're going to be doing things that are high stakes. And if you're going to be doing things that are high stakes, of course, you're going to have, you know, big risk, big, big reward. And, and I just thought, well, actually, I think that's the way I want it to be. I, I, you know, I want this to be high stakes and I want to have fear of failure because it means that I'm probably doing something that's worth worthwhile and something that, you know, I, I could fail at and it could, and it will actually matter. But imagine if I didn't, imagine I went through life with that, any fear of failure, nothing was high stakes. It's just not a choice I want to make. That's just not the life I, I want to have. And I suspect that, you know, all, all of you got this far and all of us have got this far. And that's probably not the life we've chosen to have either because at the end of this or whatever you choose to do, um, you will keep having these moments of uh, fear of failure. So it's going to be this exam, then your next job, and then the final exam, then your fellowship position, then the next, yeah, then your consultant jobs and then whatever else you want to do in life, whether it's, extra, you know, trying to be the next uh, skiing champion or chess master or runner or whatever it is, you're going to, you're going to feel it. So what I've just realized with this is that I've just got to accept it. It's a good sign feeling fear of failure regularly throughout, at, you know, within reason, regular fear of failure at intermittent times in your life is probably a good sign that you're on track, that you're actually pushing yourself 
and you, you know, you're doing what you probably want to do to be an effective member of the human race or make things matter. Um, and that you're actually challenging yourself. So, you know, what it comes down to is probably what we're going to chat about. What are the tactics we can use to go, okay, fear of failure, all of that bad emotions happening. What am I now going to do about it? And it, I think it comes down to a few of the things that over, over a lot of this time with um, adrenal memories and the first year coffee break we've talked about, which is things like being aware of it, being mindful of it and observing that self-talk and making sure that you're framing it in a positive light. Uh, you know, having someone confident who helps you get out of your head, um, whether it's a good mate, for me, it's my sister. I, I just tell her, look, I can't remember enough. I'm feeling really terrible. And she should always just say, no, don't worry, you've got this. And for some reason, that's that one person that you just believe in, in life, whether it's your sister or a, you know, a colleague of yours, some people just help you get there. And sometimes you might have to actually tell them, this is what I need from you. Like some people you need very constructive advice about what you need. And other people, you just want them to tell you, hey, don't worry, things are going to be good. You've, you've passed everything else. You've done, you've done all right. And if you don't, don't worry, there's always another one. You need someone like that. And then, you know, I think that other things was probably again these general tips but balancing the hard challenging stuff with uplifting stuff you know doing those questions that you know before the exam um, or spacing them out uh, so you've got hard stuff in it intermingled with good feeling stuff because your mental state being positive and, and optimistic is a, is going to be a big deal um, to you know amongst a whole bunch of other things but it'll be a big deal to getting rid of that bad self-talk and making, making it positive I think one of the key ideas here is that it's actually a really positive thing. And I think Lars sort of said it nicely is, is that you guys are in a position where that fear of failure actually means you guys are doing something that is meaningful. It's meaningful for yourself. It's meaningful for your family. It's meaningful for all those around you. And there's very few times in your life where you actually encounter these moments. And so it's a very extremely privileged position that everyone is in. Um, I think that, you know, with myself in line, and look, I think about myself and the times that I put myself in these positions, and I can probably count them in my hands. And I think this is one of the reasons why, you know, as we get older, we certainly don't put ourselves in those positions where we, where we, um, can fail yeah like there's a lot of ego potentially it's like i'm now a consultant and i don't want to do a, another als course where i might actually fail yeah or you know and you kind of pushed into these situations like i don't know if you ever had a consultant to do a sim session and they're afraid of doing the sim session because it would feel embarrassing to fail at sim session and and you know i, I know that we would all feel that if we were now to run an als thing and things didn't go as well like, i'm expected to know that suddenly mm. it's a lot worse but you know what's the option if you don't do it, then you will just get worse and worse. <laughs> yeah. And I sort of look back and I think, um, you know, I guess if, if I was uh, your age again and I was uh, in, in this position here, I think it'd be, I, I, can, I can certainly feel like it, it'd be very exciting. It'd be, and I think that's the way to sort of frame this whole, um, this whole opportunity it's a wonderful opportunity that, that you guys have. And it's something that, you know, don't look at it negatively, look at it in a positive light. And I can tell you that you, you think about every single Olympic athlete out there. If they were scared to fail at their chosen sport, they would never do four years of training to get there. Because remember, for every single sport, there can only be one gold medalist. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times for, for the Olympian, you know, if they don't get, if they don't get that gold medal, it, it's nothing. Mm. But I think that they've got that mindset that, it, that yes, winning the gold medal is the epitome, but it's more than that. And I think that's what it is. It's more than just passing this exam, okay? So maybe it's worthwhile going through, if people want to volunteer, I mean, I'm sure everyone's had this feeling a few weeks out from the exam, like what are the, what's the self-talk strategies or, you know, what, what are the strategies that you guys are doing now that might be useful just to share with everyone? So anyone can jump in. Uh, 
Um, I've been trying quite hard to keep a bit of a focus on life outside the exam. And I think, Lahiri, in your last session a few months ago on similar topics, when you talk about cognitive behaviour therapy, you talked about like um, the worst case scenario and sort of delegitimizing that. Um, so like really just focusing on those core basics that we take for granted when I feel really stressed um, and that they'll still be there. That's pretty hard at times because um, I struggle to make light of the worst case scenario for this where I'm like, if I fail, that means like, you know, instead of like studying in winter when it's raining, it means like, I'm going to miss out on like going to the cricket and going to the beach in summer, like another six months. So it's sort of hard to do that. Um, but then to sort of try and at least zoom out um, on that worst case scenario and be like, there's all these other things that will still be going okay if I don't pass this. Cause that fear can sort of be um, paralyzing at times. I think. I used to, I used to have this thing where I think about like, say I didn't get into anesthetic training or whatever, and I think about my plan B and it just wasn't too bad. Like I thought, oh yeah, you know what? I'd probably just locum for a long time, make a lot of money and travel and do whatever else other hobbies I want to do. And, and, you know, when I think about in the world scheme of things, I'm like, I'd be really happy doing that. You know, no more exams. And, and I feel almost uplifted thinking that I could just travel around and do, do a decent day's work in a few different places and, and then come back for half of the year and not work that much. And anyway, so we, we, you know, we truly do have a lot of good plan Bs that won't matter in a few years time, even, even if the worst case happens. A anyone else who's had any uh, kind of, yeah, just, just good strategies that they've used or people have told them? I, um, on advice of a podcast, I've started writing a gratitude diary at nighttime. It's like before I go to bed, I write down things that like I'm grateful for that and also good things that happen in the day, even if they're just like small things. Mm. And actually, and I found that it really helps my sleep. Like I sleep better. I don't go to sleep nearly as stressed. So that has had the knock-on effect of now feeling better in the day because I've had a better sleep. Oh, amazing. That's wonderful. And that's a yeah, wonderful. Yeah, it really, yeah. easy, so easy. It like takes five minutes, but like so good. <laughs> And, and then the other thing is like making sure that my screen is on this night mode. I don't know why, but I took so long to get onto that. And now I also sleep a lot better because I've put, turned that onto night mode. Oh, amazing. And that's just having more black than white on it. On the screen. Take dose magnesium at night as well. That helps. Uh, that's, that's a great tip. Yeah. You, I mean, all yeah. Practice, yeah. Right? your sleep is so, so important. Yeah, as well as every other part. I really like the gratitude thing because I, um, I, I've definitely done that in the past. And now I'll do this thing where as I'm going off to sleep, I, I don't write it down, but I'm thinking of the positive things because I'm, I'm, I'm waking up in the morning thinking I've got to do all this stuff and I'm not doing enough. And then yeah. I'll just sit back and go, oh, no, no, these things have happened. And so weird how, what is it? It really is a negativity bias. Your, your brain always goes to threats for and puts more effort yes. and gain into threats rather than any kind of positives. And it's just a terrible part of our biology, but hey, that's how it is. <laughs> I found that the gratitude thing as well, it puts things into perspective because the, typically if I look back through this diary, a lot of the stuff that I'm grateful for is like my family. Mm. And that is the much bigger picture. And so if the exam is like a, like a much smaller part of my life, I mean, at the moment, it's it's consumptive, but it's a much smaller part of my life. And I'm like, you know what? I've already hit the jackpot. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I already have. So then anything above that is a bonus. I mean, it's bloody hard work to do this and there's lots of sacrifices, but it is literally a bonus. Like, I've already made it. You know what I mean? I've, uh, that's right. I've started doing a lot of um, camping and I almost want to do more of it because, when, you know, when you're camping, you can't care about anything else but okay, I've just got to find a good place to set up this tent. I've got to have a good night's sleep. I've got to boil some water to have a coffee and make some food. And it's just nice that, you know, and you come back from that and you think, oh man, I've got a warm bed. And like, there's yeah. such a good way of appreciating, appreciating yeah. you're forced to as well. The stuff you do have, exactly. Making everyone jealous now. You know, everyone's thinking about camping <laughs> in another Couple more, couple more weeks. Everyone's, everyone's got their holidays planned after after this exam. That's right. Um, look, let's move on to another idea where, you know, Latifa sort of talked about with the work that we're doing, 
sometimes we're not feeling that we're achieving the standard that we set ourselves or the goals that we set ourselves. And by not achieving those goals or those, um, you know, those landmarks, we don't feel like our preparation is adequate. And I can certainly relate to that where, you know, doing preparations of, of any, you know, doing, during these exams, especially doing feedback sessions. And we're talking how feedback is a double-edged sword because we use feedback to improve ourselves, but we also use feedback as a benchmark to make sure that we're on track where ultimately, you know, there's this three hour um, short answer question and then three hour MCQ question where we're benchmarked. And I guess it's how we sort of manage those expectations. Like how, how would you go about, um, you know, getting feedback during this phase, especially, you know, the, the next couple of weeks leading up to the exam, especially if you get feedback that is not, um, how, I, how I would say, up to your standard or, or what you would like to achieve leading up to this exam? Yeah, so, uh, I, I mean, I remember doing enough practice papers with various people marking it and, you know, these were not examiners, but yeah, I, I never... It was always disappointing to not do as well as my mate did on a, on a question. It was always disappointing, but it was almost like it, it, it didn't matter in the fact that, well, still, like, like one of you guys said, it still doesn't matter because you still have an exam to do. So this is almost irrelevant how I did. And the only thing that was important was that I learned something from that. So I, I, I think I was, you know, accepted the disappointment of the bad questions, accepted the joy of doing a question pretty well that balanced itself out hopefully. And then I went on and just tried to improve that. I think you had some pretty good strategies. I, I think these days people are getting examiners to mark their questions as well. And, and look, I was having a chat to Lara about this before and Latifa as well, is that I, I think um, us as educators, the way that we've traditionally done feedback is through a very binary system. So what I mean by that is that we give you a mark. We give you a mark, um, out of five, and that if you scored more than half of that, you pass. If you scored less than half, you fail. And that's a very binary system. And I don't think that is actually the way to go about giving feedback, you know, in the lead up for this exam. And what I mean by that is I've sort of learned that over the last couple of years um, in terms of that, it's actually more beneficial for me when I give feedback for a short answer question, to actually talk about strategies of what you can change or evolve to make your answer present better. So what you've done well first, and then after that, what you can improve on. And I think those um, comments certainly um, will be taken more positively by trainees. Now, that's a very, it's a very in-depth and um, involved way of giving feedback. And it's something that I think a lot of us hopefully will, um, will encounter in the future. But in this moment in time, I think for most of the times when we ask for feedback, it comes in as binary numbers. And what I tell trainees to do is that don't look at the binary number. What you should do is when you get your feedback, go back to the examiner. First of all, thank them for giving you feedback because it does take time to mark a paper. And then secondly, talk about what else you can do to get higher marks or to present your paper better. And then the third step to take is to actually go back and rewrite the answer again and then submit the answer back to the same examiner and say, is this a better version of an answer that you would score higher. And I think that closing the loop is actually positive and will create a lot of positive momentum towards this exam. So I think, you know, for a lot of you out there, if you feel like, you know, sometimes when you're doing your short answer questions, you give it to the examiner, they give you a one or a two and you're going, OMG, you know, like this is terrible. Don't look at it that way. Don't look at binary numbers. I mean, and, and that's what La was talking about in terms of, um, in fact, that's what the title is, the performance paradox, which is that the more that, um, you know, we try to set ourselves targets as we lead up to this, to this exam, 
sometimes that the way that it's being received is actually more negative. And instead of looking at it in terms of binary numbers, look at it in terms of strategies of how else I can improve. So every single moment that every single opportunity, every single question that presents itself, look at it as an opportunity in terms of how you can improve yourself, but close the loop. What I mean by that is after you get that feedback, go back and rewrite the answer again and give it back to the examiner or that person who gave you the feedback and ask them to, to remark it. And what you want to see is that that score go up high and then that will reinforce all those positive strategies. Yeah, sounds really good. Um, should we go through some of that, a few more of those specifics that um, I think um, Atifa was coming up with? Yeah. Yeah. So well, one of the big ones is uh, that we hear is, you know, and we've experienced is can't recall, we just can't recall all the information that we've read. <laughs> what are the, what do you think of that? What are the strategies you got for that? I, I mean, I think we all encounter that all the time. I think that um, yeah. one of the, even for myself, like, you know, I look back and I think about um, numbers and I think about concepts and even in, you know, I've, I've, I do this twice a year. There's even times where I go, I can't remember what I, what I read, you know, a couple of, couple of months ago. So even for me, it's a very normal uh, feeling that you can't recall information. And even for myself, you think that you hold yourself to a standard. I hold myself to a standard as well. And it's embarrassing for me. But what I've come to realize is that I think all of us encounter that, um, that feeling. And it's not a, just about, you know, having to recall information and specifics. And this is where that idea is in terms of being able to, to understand um, the general concepts and to also understand strategies on how you can communicate with another person when you can't recall those specifics. And what I mean by that is, let's say you get asked a question on, you know, what is, let's say the PKA of Litnikane. And you can't remember the exact specifics, but what you do is you know some general concepts around the drug, that it's a basic drug. Um, and then you can talk about the things that you know, and it gives you that sense of um, where you think that PKA of lignocaine should be. And those are some of the strategies that you, know, you can work on. And I think it, it is important to put yourselves in situations where you can't answer a question. Mm. I think that that is one of the um, key things that I look for from a trainee is that if they can't answer a question, what are some of the things that they say? And I think it's really insightful to understand how they think about certain ideas, yeah. um, which is why you, you look at, you talk to every examiner and you even talk to um, you know, trainees who won the merit or won the rented. Every single time they've been put into a scenario where they don't know, where they're not, whether either they can't remember, they haven't read that information, but it's not about, you know, because they aren't able to recall that information um, that they fail. That's not it at all. In fact, it's the way that you talk about um, what you think that information is, that is actually a lot more skillful. Mm. And, and would you say like, um, let's say you asked a question point blank about, you know, say PK and you're not sure, it's worthwhile, because the examiners always know when you're not, when you don't sound sure. So it's worthwhile saying, look, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I think it's this, or I'm, I'm talking around it, it looks like it's a base drug, basic drug, blah, blah, blah. And then you get to a point where it might be around this. Around, and you like sort of know that, yeah, yeah, maybe it's around eight, maybe, yeah. you know? <laughs> Um, and I think, you, and what I mean by that is you don't need to be specific and go at oh, 7.8, 7 7.9, all right? You can be around the number and being, you know, being around, being close enough is actually good enough a lot of times, all right? So don't feel like the, the bar is set so high that you need to be accurate mm -hmm. in the answers that you give. Not at all. This is a communication exam. I've always said that right from the start. And it's not just about communicating, you know, the things that you know, but it's also about communicating 
the things that you don't know, but how you go about thinking about what the answer could be. I think that is really, really important. Now, to do that in the short answer question, again, does take practice. And this is what I talk about, you know, if there is an idea that um, you couldn't get down on paper, go back and have a chat to the examiner, see what, uh, you know, see what their comments are and, see, and do, the, do the short answer question again. Mm. And I think that is a wonderful way to, to reinforce information. I don't think everyone expects you to have 100% recall of all the information out there. Uh, about that point about not having needing exact numbers, I remember the first set of tables that I ever received from the people above me, uh, they just pretty much rounded, out, rounded almost all the opioids clearances to 15 mils per minute. And I just thought, oh, that's, that's unusual. I didn't really know that they just rounded it out except for, you know, alfentyl and remifentyl. And uh, I, I, just, I just memorized that. That was just, that was just the number. And then later on, I was like, oh, I was shocked that it was actually different. Um, so one of the other things with recall, I remember, so this was the first exam I did where I couldn't just see all the information. So, you know, all of my other exams, I felt like on a few A4 pieces of paper, I could kind of see the exam it was one of these pieces of paper or bits in between whereas this exam it felt like there was just you know a thousand of those pieces of paper so psychologically i, I wasn't um I, psychologically i was fearful that i wouldn't be able to pull that a4 sheet out or that you know bit of knowledge out I remember my sister telling me no you just you just got to imagine that it's in a it's in a drawer you know just just trust in that the fact that you've got a filing cabinet or if you're thinking in windows format you've got a filing system where all your notes are and you're just clicking on it and you're pulling it out. So I don't know if this will help, but this definitely helped me to just be believe that even though I couldn't see it all in front of me, it was there ready to access um, when I needed it. And notwithstanding everything else we said about actually, you know, strategies for trying to recall information that you, you couldn't, that isn't on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. And, I, you know, don't, don't frame it like you can't recall all the information. I bet you if, you know, you had a question that you never heard of before, you, you could write about four or five points down. Mm. And yes, you're not going to get four out of five out of five for that answer. And you know what? You would almost say that 90% of everyone around you is not going to get that four out of five. Mm. In fact, I'm sure you guys saw the um, exam report and I'm sure you guys also saw the scores of the top marks. And this is the first time it's been published. And I think that it's really insightful to acknowledge this is that the person who scored the top, in fact, the people who scored the top marks in the exam, do you know what their average was for the short answer questions? Three and a half. Three and a half out of five was the average for the short answer questions. In other words, out of 50, there were three people that scored the top marks in the SAQ exam, and that was 35. Yeah. yeah. 35. See, so you, you pass by a couple of points and you fail by a couple of points. It's, everyone's very... It, the margins very are fine. So, you know, you think about a three out of five, right? Um, a 3.5 out of five. Those people who scored top marks, I'm quite sure there was, there was probably about maybe three or four questions where they would have scored five out of five. Now, if you think about this, if they have scored five out of five for about three or four questions, to get an average of three and a half means that they probably scored twos for about maybe one or two questions, all right? And that already shows you how human <laughs> this exam is. So don't feel like you have to be going and scoring, you know, threes and fours and fives all the time. Mm -hmm. I think a realistic goal is that you aim for threes. Mm -hmm. If you score twos, it's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, anything above three is a bonus, but three is where you, where you want to be. And if you start scoring above threes, you guys are renting material. Mm -hmm. Moving on to that question of um, not sure where to put our time. So in the last few weeks, would you would you focus on look that's a really really good question this is a very personal question it's something that i get asked all the time it really depends on 
how you feel you are going with your preparation. In other words, what I mean by that is that if you feel like, you know, when you do your practice short answer question exams, you feel like you need a bit more work to them, focus on the SAQ exam. And, the, and notice how I phrase it. I'm not phrasing it in terms of you do a practice SAQ exam and you fail. Don't even think about terms like that. Think about it in terms of these practice um, papers that you do, they are gonna guide you on where you need to spend your time. And think about closing the loop. And what I mean by that is every time you get feedback, go back and don't even think about the future. Just think about improving that moment in time. So that let's say you've got a question where you've scored one or two out of five and you want to get that three. Go back, rewrite that answer, hand it back to that um, examiner, say, would this create a three out of five? And if they say yes, done, good. But it's, And it sounds like no matter what you do, you want to do things that have the ability to be corrected, which means if you're reading and listening as the majority of the stuff, you're not going to get that feedback. So it's, it really is like, I, you know, I'd always say constantly be doing active learning. If I ever lot, you know, gave a rest for too long and just kind of passively digested stuff, I, I would lose my edge when I was writing stuff out or speaking stuff out. So active learning is the only way that you will know where you, where you need to fine tune and improve. So I would say in those last few weeks, the only game in town really is majority active learning and for your breaks and for your mm. kind of fluff sessions, hey, have, have a listen to something passively or read something, but otherwise exams, <laughs> a lot of them. And like you always talk about marginal gains as well. Um, and I think this is a really good example of, um, you know, marginal gains. And what I mean by that is, I think we need to acknowledge that the scope of the primary exam is massive, yeah? Um, but like when we do a short answer question, it's very finite. I, I would think that a short answer question probably represents less than 1% of what is out there in terms of what you may potentially get asked. Mm. But let's say that that short answer question was something that you could improve on, mm. take that opportunity and think about the marginal gains of really getting that right. Because I think sometimes when we overwhelm ourselves with how you know, the enormity of the concepts that are out there, we go, oh my God, I don't know this concept well, but I don't know another thousand concepts well, what am I going to do? I'm going to go and, you know, study this other thousand concepts when in fact, just look at improving that little moment in time. And you'll find that as you do that marginal gains, you know, that, that 1% becomes 2% becomes 3%, 4%, 5%. Really sort of think about moments in your learning, um, in your learning schedules. All right. So I think that, you know, where you focus from now is really dependent on how you guys are going. Um, and, and I think one of the, of the things that I would also advise is that don't neglect your MCQs. So as much as, you know, you want to focus on short answer questions, yes, focus on them. You can spend a bit more time on them, but whatever you do, please, especially if you need to, to pass your MCQs, do not neglect MCQs because MCQs, they are a pass-fail component. Mm -hmm. All right. There's no point passing the short answer questions if you can't get through the MCQs. And just on that point of marginal gains, before we go to Bibishan for a, for a question, um, I really like the idea of, um, you know, your whole life having a few of those marginal gains. So, you know, just talking about, you know, making sure that the, the whole of your life in these last four weeks is pretty well structured, you know, so having your meals planned, whether it's your favorite takeaway restaurant, just know what you're going to eat before and stuff that you enjoy eating and, 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 and it's good. Make sure you are getting that good night's sleep, whether it's blackout blinds, like a better pillow face, you know, face mask. Recently I found just listening to an audiobook book going to sleep was just amazing for me um, as well as all those other things. So, you know, make sure all of your regular habits that make you function well, uh, as good as they can, as, as good as they can be. Um, and if, again, if you need to outsource one of those things, please, you know, outsource it to a cleaner, find out who your mate uses, or, uh, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's someone who is uh, particularly good at, 
just sorting other things out in your, in your yard. Just make sure those things that you don't want to do, just get someone else to do it. Um, Vishan, you ask a question? Yeah, sorry to backtrack a little bit, but when we were talking about the questions where you might not necessarily know the specific answer, um, I understand what you guys were saying in a Viva setting where you can explain understanding of a concept. I find it particularly challenging with a written question to find that line between um, writing about something you know when you might not know the whole answer to the question and answering the question, which is something we're always obviously trying to do. Um, so I wanted to ask about the balancing act between those and how you might discriminate between this could get me a mark and this is a waste of time the examiner just thinks I don't know anything. Yeah. I, look, it's a really good question. So my, uh, we'll both have our kind of uh, perceptions of this. I always thought that I would try to, you know, answer the question and just make that brief. And if I didn't know something, that would be obvious that it wasn't there. But I'd also have, you know, pages at the end where I'd say just ex some extra information. Like I just, I just had this feeling, and this is completely not evidence based. I haven't really talked to examiners about this, but I just thought it'd be very difficult for them to fail me if I just wrote down lots of information that's loosely relevant to what they're talking about, even if it wasn't exactly answering the question, but I wasn't going to pollute my formal answer. It was just extra things that I could put in extra time if I had it. So I don't know the answer. I'll put what I do know in a concise fashion. And if I have extra time for that question in the paper, I will then write and go into the extra, extra, non-specific detail that that was that was my strategy for i think one of the things to acknowledge is that there are always going to be about maybe two or three questions in the short answer question um where you go i don't know much about this question at all hopefully if you are able to have that coverage you can probably reduce that to about one but i think on average, you know, two, two or three questions, you're going to find challenging. It's not going to be 15. And I think that's the key thing to, to realize. You are not going to have 15 questions where you're going to go, OMG, I cannot write anything for these 15. There's going to be about seven to eight questions where you go, right, I can really produce a good solid answer to this question. And yes, I agree that sometimes when we do these practice exams for those seven to eight questions, a lot of times, you know, we feel like we've given a really good answer. And then after that, when we get the feedback, you're like, oh my God, I scored a two out of five. But I'm sure that if you look at the average of the marks, right, you'd be around that three mark, okay? Which is where you want to be. And there's always that, you know, two or three questions and you think about the last exam where they had that rotum question so yes there were some trainees who were um who were familiar with rotum and could write a really good answer to that but for the majority of trainees they looked in and went what am i going to write but i think when you sort of um you know when they had that pause a lot of them could actually write a couple of things down and i think that's sort of the key thing to to sort of realize is that in that situation, there's always going to be something, all right, where you're going to be able to write a couple of concepts down. And I think, you know, the worst case scenario is that let's just try to get one mark out of five. Don't stress. Let's just get this one mark. And the key thing is time management. Again, you know, spend your eight, nine minutes on it and then move on to your next question. Mm. All right. I think th those are some, some of the key things that you need to acknowledge um, for this exam. So a few other questions which are really related to how we imagine other people might perceive us. So, you know, the fear that we are slower or stupider <laughs> than someone else, or, you know, what's another person going to think of me? Um, you know, what, what's the department going to feel? And all, all, all that stuff, which is really a lot of, I guess, mind reading of other people's kind of perceptions on you. Uh, what, do you what do you think of that, Stan? I feel that all the time sitting next to you, Lahira. <laughs> Join the club. You know, <laughs> I was um, at a, like, I was at Lahira's birthday uh, last week. So we've got to wish Lahira a happy birthday. Um, and this guy's phenomenal. Like we were oh. having drinks and like 
halfway through, we're at this piano bar and like the musician comes up and just asks La to come and join him. And then him and La are just riffing. And I'm just looking at Lahira going, oh my God, like I'm completely inadequate. I am so <laughs> lucky my wife is not here to watch this. Do you know? <laughs> Otherwise, she realized, you know, she's definitely married a very much less talented person here. <laughs> but I, you know what? I think this is pretty much what all of us feel when, when we sort of compare ourselves um, with one another. And I think my, my best advice is that you guys have been tried and tested. You guys would not be in this position, right? If you guys didn't have the skill, the aptitude to do medicine. And, and I think that'd be fair to say, wouldn't it? Yeah, and the whole smarter thing, like let, let's say in that normal distribution, you know, maybe, maybe one of your mates in your study group is just really good at something. Uh, that chances are that when you look at that normal distribution, you're, you're both just about here. You know, you're still playing in the same game. Like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a different ballpark. You're both on the, the stitching of the same ball, really. You know, that's not even, it, it doesn't even matter to anyone else. Anyone else looking at, at you guys doing this exam would be thinking, well, you both know an absolute load of stuff. It's just that, again, you're, you're looking at it through the wrong, the wrong lens. Um, and, you know, then the other thing is, I, I love the fact that a lot of consultants in the department I was training at would, would just tell us, yeah, yeah, I failed. Yep, I failed once. I, and then, you know, Prof Story came out with that article. You know, he failed, he's a professor. He's doing bloody well with himself. There's a lot of these things that, you know, that it, you know it, really, it really doesn't matter too much. But again, telling you that stuff, it's a, it's a feeling. You feel it. It, feel, it feels terrible. But at the end of the day, it's, that, it's, it's just um, owning that self-talk and not letting it run, run wild, knowing the facts are actually a lot better than what your perceptions are. And I think that's, the, that's one of the key points that Lahiru um, has made is that, um, you know, when you sort of compare yourself to another person, it's don't let that comparison run you down, okay? You know, use it positively. Use it as a as a way to actually improve yourself so that if you see someone who is really skilled at answering questions, um, you know, explore those ideas with them, say to them, why do you think about it this way? You know, or, or can you run in, can you run through uh, these concepts with me? Really take advantage of those opportunities that present themselves. Because remember that I've always said that, you know, and I've said it before early in this, uh, talk is that this, uh, this exam is about communication. It's also about relationships as well. It's about the way that you communicate with one another. It's the way that you develop relationships with one another. And, you know, if, if I need help from Lahiru, you want to be able to go to Lahiru and go, or to anyone else and go, hey, can you give me your ideas in terms of why you think about it this way? And it's the same thing about this podcast here or what this idea when I was approached to talk about these, um, about these ideas. I know for myself that I have somewhat of an understanding about it, but it's not as complete as how Lahiru is able to express these ideas so much more eloquently. And, it, and as soon as I, you know, was, was taught about, um, you know, can we do a talk about this? I went, right. You know, this is something that I think that, would be really useful for Lahiru and I to come together and, and, and chat about. And I think this is where that humility comes in. Um, and to know that, look, we're not always going to be the best at everything. We are going to have our strengths. We are going to have our weaknesses, but it's also to recognize someone else's strengths and to be able to ask them to help you. Mm. Yeah. And I think more often than not, those people, and I know that a lot of strong trainees that are out there, they do want to help everyone out there okay and i think that we've created that community where everyone wants to help one another and they get so much better you know so you're asking someone how to explain something or teach you something they're getting so much out of that not just that they get to help someone out which feels good but they're relearning it relearning it and yeah it's just such a win-win for everyone so and the way to create opportunities where it's a win-win is to ask for help is to ask and communicate 
can someone out there run this ideas through me? And I think, you know, if you're running low on energy, mm. that's, that's one of the wonderful ways to actually create energy is to actually, um, you know, go up and do a Zoom session, go up and say, hey, can we have a chat about this, about this topic here? And I think just that, that conversation, you just rebound the energy off one another, which is why, mm. you know, anesthesia coffee break works so well because like here right now, we just get, we, we actually just talk about it. Yeah. We actually run with energy, you know, run with the energy from both of us. Actually, it's something you mentioned, which is really great. And I, I never thought about this before you mentioned it, but it, this exam for me was always so self-focused and how it should be more outward focused. Mm. Tell us about that, Stan. So a lot of times I think that um, we think about ourselves in this whole process. We think about, you know, I'm going to fail. I'm not doing well. Um, I'm, you know, I don't have the qualities to succeed. Whereas I think that if you think outwardly and you go, what else can I do to help this, you know, help someone else succeed, to help someone else do better, you've actually created that energy. You know, when, when you want to go out and actually help someone, you actually create that energy that I, that I think drives you to, to be better, which is what this whole which is what this whole program is about. You know, when we want to help someone, we actually go out and actually reach out. And, and actually, I think we learn in that whole process, don't we? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be an interesting thing if they change the exam to you all pass or you all fail? Yeah, you it's, a, it's a whole sort of collective, <laughs> collective effort. Yeah, that's right. Um, which, which is why I think, you know, when, when we get asked to do um, a topic or an idea, hmm we're actually very enthusiastic about it because we know that we're helping someone else. And I think in that process, we want to do a good job yeah. and that's what creates the energy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but by yeah, the amount of motivation you get because someone else is relying on you, you can help someone. But yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big motivator, isn't it? And I, I think you can leverage that in, not, not just you know, on, on, the, um, on the networks that you've created, but also in your department as well. Because I can guarantee you there are consultants out there who want to help. The, the thing is, they don't know how to help. And I think that's one of the key messages out there is that you have to communicate, you have to ask. I guarantee you they're out there because I've had a number of uh, consultants reach out to me to say that you know, they want to be able to contribute to the preparation of the primary trainees. But the key thing is they don't know how to. Mm. They're fearful that they've lost that primary knowledge. They're fearful that, um, you know, they may lead you down the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. But it's not that at all. It's just about time spent. Mm -hmm. It's about having a platform to discuss ideas, to talk with one another. And I think that that energy that, um, you know, they, that they bring, you can feed off that. Yeah. Hey, so we, we've been going for around 15 minutes, maybe another, we'll have another time for another five or 10 minutes. Um, and I thought it'd be interesting to go, these, these are probably come a couple of hard questions. I might get Latifah's question before we get onto, uh, you know, training and continuing training and also the thought about whether I should defer two tough questions, but yeah, Latifah, go for it. I think, um, the fear of paralysis um, is a, a big issue for me. And I just wondered what advice you might have for some of us to really ignore the big, scary feelings about failing, about inadequacy, and how we get into beast mode for four weeks. <laughs> you you uh, do it together. I think one of the things that we, that I think we can all acknowledge here is that everyone feels the same. Everyone feels that they're not good enough. Everyone fears that they're going to fail. And I think that the way to get into beast mode is to go, how do I get you into beast mode? Mm. Right? So from my point of view, I, I think that's actually a really good strategy and that would add on to my, the system that I probably use. Uh, be aware, you know, you're aware of this, so be aware that you're in that mode of, uh, I, I think um, I've got complete paralysis for this exam. I'm aware of it. It's absolutely normal. So you accept that feeling. The next thing you do is you actually go through a step of, uh, you know, kind of the CBT approach where you go, okay, well, what's, what's the reality? Well, I've got to do this. So 
that's, that's the first thing. Uh, the reality is I know a lot of things because I've studied a, uh, for a long time. Um, I'm, and then actually write down all the actual self-talk that you want to have and have it on your notes in your, on your phone. And literally when you felt that, look at it, talk through it. You, you, it's a strategic way to make sure that you're, you know, what, what, you know, all you are are the thoughts that <laughs> can come across your consciousness, right? And you don't want that to be occupied by the fear stuff. You got to realize it's happening and you just got to replace it with other stuff. And I, I use this so effectively for so many things, just having, you know, written pre-prepared notes saying that, okay, that's actually what the reality is. Um, and then definitely combine that with your mates and say, Hey, I'm feeling pretty crap right now. Let's, mm. uh, let's do something to yep. feel better and get through this together. I think that's a really important thing. If you're feeling down or you're feeling unmotivated, communicate that to someone do you know i guarantee you yeah they will go right all right well let's go do something that's gonna keep you motivated because there's nothing more motivate there's nothing that brings motivation than someone else's unmotivation yes you know <laughs> and, and tell them what you need from them as well like some you know you don't want to be a complaining person right but you know a close friend if you go hey by the way i'm going through this right now i need you to be this person for me if that if that's okay once they know what frame, what's expected of them, that you're not just whinging, that you're actually going, look, I actually need some help. Again, oh, you need help? Yeah, I'll rise to that challenge. Absolutely. You know, I'm, your, I'm your mate. Um, it's a very different frame that you set someone else yeah. in to get to beast mode. And, and, and this is the reason why I never tell, tell our hero I'm not running anymore because I'm quite sure if I was told him that I'm unmotivated to run, he would be on my front door at five o'clock in the morning going, all right, let's go. Time to run, time to run, time to run. <laughs> so this is a bad analogy. I, I haven't done <laughs> in a long time. <laughs> oh, you haven't run? All right, well, yeah, let's go let's tomorrow go. morning. <laughs> um, okay, a couple of, couple of serious topics then. Uh, the, the, the problem of whether I'll be still allowed to continue training, you know, career aspirations and all of that. Uh, what, what do you think of that? That, that all comes down to that fear of yep. failure, isn't it? And what's at stake? here um look it, it is a hard one i acknowledge there's so much at stake here and i think that as you said look let's just let's just get it out there all right what's the you know what's the worst case scenario that can happen yeah so i mean right. really so let's, let's talk about this all right you don't you fail um and let's say you can't continue training all right What's the, what's the worst case scenario? Yeah, so, and this is really unlikely, right? So say you do fail, yeah. then you'll sit again and you've got a few goes at this, right? And the, the, the chance of all of those going badly, that's, that's pretty unlikely. That's a good start. And then let's say you do get off the program. You're a doctor in Australia who's got onto anesthetic training, which is probably just as big a hurdle as anything. You know, I'm going through however many hundreds of applicants for four career care jobs. It's, that's not easy. You guys have been through that. Whatever other thing that you do, you'll probably get, get it. And you'll, this will be but a blip in your memory, I suspect. Yeah. But this, you know, this is where I think some of the amazing success stories we hear yes. around the world today yes. comes from hmm. failures. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not saying that you guys are going to fail, but what I'm trying to say is that alternative is not as bleak as you think. Mm. In actual fact, some of the alternatives may actually be a lot brighter. And I'm not saying to choose another path because I think anesthesia is great, but it's that mindset. Mm. And it's that mindset that never lose yourself, never lose that positivity in this whole process. This world has so much to give you. And, and you probably all realize is that, you know, it's only through struggle that you get out the other side. Yeah, and you hear many stories of this, but what is it? There's this um, fantastic um, doctor from Queensland who was paralyzed in you know, a car accident. And he's just done, you know, he became Australian of the year. He's just done doing amazing things to advocate for, you know, uh, d disabled patients and also doctors as well. Um, and that came out of this incredibly terrible tragedy. You know, he's just paralyzed from the, from the waist down. And um and I think of that and from a you know, completely different scale, I think, I think ABC's anesthesia for me pretty much started from the fact I didn't understand the second part exam. And so yeah, I really struggled through. I had, it, it was a very difficult time for me whereas the first part wasn't as, didn't, it was challenging, but it, didn't, it wasn't as much of a mystery as the second part exam. And that's where 
my part two exam course came from the fact that I didn't get it. A lot of other people just got it naturally. So yeah, whatever struggle you go through, there's, there's, there's probably a pretty amazing light at the end of that. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, as I said, that's where so many amazing things in this world mm. come from. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, if a negative thing was to happen to any of us today, so let's say you go blind, you lose a limb, you become paralyzed. It's only negative if you see it as a negative. And you see so many positive stories of how, you know, people who lose limbs, who lose, you know, their, their physical functional abilities, they lose, and, and not just physical abilities, I'm just using that as, a, as an example, but obviously, you know, they lose their jobs, they lose other positions that they're in but they've created from that failure or from that you know mishap or negativity they've created something amazing out of it and i think that is what humanity is mm. yeah. that's good so yes acknowledge it right that there is a lot of stake here okay and yes if you fail um you know there's that, always that possibility but it's not as bleak as it is all right and i think knowing that should give you that freedom to do some amazing things from here on in in other words let that fear go all right because it's not as bad as you think and in actual fact you know in some ways um you know if you are religious it can be a blessing all right i think i think a lot of things in our lives um you know when we look back through the lens of time at that moment in time we say that you know we're going through some really hard times but then you know a couple of years later you're like that yeah. was actually <laughs> one of the pivotal moments uh, of my life yeah, that's right yeah. <laughs> there's, there's an interesting song lyric where you go a hundred bad days is a hundred good stories and a hundred good stories makes me makes me interesting at parties yeah and uh yeah that, that's a good way to sum it up yeah so, so so let it go, guys. Yep. yep. There you go. Yep. You guys, you guys are set up for success. All right. Mm -hmm. No matter what, no matter what happens from here, you guys are set up for success. Yeah. All right. The, the fact that you guys are here today, dialing in, listening in, just shows me that you're passionate, that you care. And I think having those qualities, mm -hmm. being passionate, being caring, I think no matter what you do, mm -hmm. you guys will be amazing. That's probably a good point to wrap it up then, I think. Um, yeah. Does anyone else have any sort of comments that or feelings that they want to share before we, um, before we sort of wrap it up? Mm -hmm. with, that, with that fear of like what will happen if this all goes pear-shaped, I have this thing where I've spoken to other people about this because I have also felt like that in the past. And I think that the way I look at it is, is that the future will take care of itself. Like, oh, how's my kid? There you go, <laughs> man. You look at, you look at the, op the opportune uh, timing of your kids. This is your future. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm saying is like the future will take care of itself. So if you sit and worry today about what will happen if you fail the exam, it means that you're not spending the time today on what you can change, which right. is the exam. <laughs> exactly spot on you're 100 correct <laughs> that's good yeah because it, it like when you fail you have to deal with it anyway like there's something you can you know that that will take care of itself if it happens like that yeah don't look at failure as as like this negative end of the world event it's not at all and i think you, you're absolutely right i think that um the way that society is constructed at the moment is that we have these moments in time when we go, boom. Now, you fail, you're falling off a cliff. And it feels like it sometimes. Whereas I think that, you know, give this another, hopefully, let this evolve over time. Yeah. And I think that what we're going to be able to create, hopefully, is that idea in terms of a pathway, all right, where we go, look, you haven't succeeded yet. Let's try these different strategies. Because ultimately, I'm going to tell you right now, um, this is what Anesthesia Coffee Break and Adrenaline Memories has come. That's what it's come about. It's come about because of um, 
all the failures that I've experienced. And what I mean by that is, you know, like I want every one of you to pass. I think, I think that's our big motivation is that we want all of you to pass. And you can tell that both of us are emotionally invested in this process. And especially with my um, trainees in my training scheme, like it feels like I have failed when a trainee doesn't pass. And I never look at it as an, as an educator in terms of that, that trainee has failed because you know, they weren't clever enough, that they didn't have the aptitude to pass. The way that I look at it is that I've failed as an educator because I haven't found the solution yet to be able to get them to pass. Because the premise of both of us, the way that we teach and the way that we think is that everyone, everyone is good enough, as in everyone here is good enough, clever enough to get through this exam. And it's not because you guys haven't tried, it's because we haven't yet found the solution. Okay. And this is what all this, you know, um, videos, these podcasts, we're, that's what we're all about, you know, just creating content, trying to create ideas, solutions to a very challenging problem. Mm. Yeah. And I, and I think we're, we're, we're extremely grateful for this opportunity because mm. as I've said to La, there are very few moments in, you know, someone's lives where you can impact it as much as we are right now. I think we can, you know, like you guys have basically told us how much this means to you. And for us to be able to, mm. to impact that, you know, so positively really means a lot to us. And probably translating that to you guys that uh, when you, when you help one of your study mates out or part of your group, oh. it's, it, it's probably in magnitudes more as well, you know, being able to get your mate through the exam. That, and that's what yeah. we want. We, yeah. we want to create that culture yeah. of that everyone's here to help one another out. Mm. Um, and as I've said multiple times, you know, throughout my sessions is that one of the, um, one of the key drivers for this idea was, you know, a year ago, that group, that study group within the Northwest, which helped out two trainees that had failed. And, you know, they took them within their group, really um, mentored, educated them, and then got everyone through that exam. Mm. Like for me, that really brought that idea that through a big collective effort, we can get everyone through. So. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, yeah, we really appreciate everyone sharing, especially Latifa for collating, all, you know, all all of the uh, uh, stories about this exam and all the things that we've, you know, every one of us has probably felt at some stage. So yeah, thanks so much, Latifa, and um, yeah, as always, yeah, join us on Anesthesia Coffee Break and Adrenaline Memories, and uh, we'll see you next time. Um, definitely email us, or you know, you've got all our details. So if you have any questions at all, please let us know. I'll see you next time. See you on Saturday. Thank you. Thanks so much.